Thank you so much, uh, worship team, and uh, so good to see all of you here again uh, this morning. Uh, glad to have you here. Welcome to um, a 10-part teaching series that we are doing called To Die For. This is part four of that series, and this morning you are finding yourself in the second movement of this series. Um, and I said at the beginning of the series, one of the reasons we're doing this series is because we believe that the Christian faith is not just Sunday-altering, but actually life-altering. Okay, that This is important to remember that people, real people, generations before you and me actually died for this faith. So now, for some of us, it might be like, mm, what I do for my faith is I go to church on Sunday and I make different moral decisions than other people. It's fine. They're people who in our Christian history have died for the thing that we sometimes take for granted. And I want to know, what is the nature of that kind of faith that makes somebody say, I'm going to die for that? That's a big deal. And so in this series, we're looking at a letter that was written to people in the New Testament time, the book of Hebrews, as it has ended up in the New Testament. In this book of Hebrews, the author is writing to people who were new believers. They were first century believers, and they, were, they, were, um, they had seen and had seen firsthand account of Jesus. Like people who had seen Jesus come back to life, resurrected, witnessed to these people, and they're like, hey, this guy's real. And they're believing. And yet at the same time, they're dealing with difficult stuff because Jesus isn't fixing everything for them. Their property is being confiscated, they're dealing with persecution, and they're having a harder time doing business, their kids aren't getting the same um, treatment at school. I mean, there are some bad things that are happening to them, and they're beginning to wonder, like, is this really worth it? Is this really it? The person who writes this book, we don't really know who it is, but we believe he has some kind of pastoral appeal to him, some kind of urge to him to write and educate and say, this is the way things were. In light of that, man, come on, come on, come with me. This is what you need to believe about your faith. And so we've been in one movement, all right? Part one was about who is Jesus. And we said at the very beginning that Christians have historically believed that Jesus is fully God. He's just fully God. Then we also said on the heels of that, Jesus is fully man, like all in, fully man, 100% God, 100% man, all in on that. Last week, Kevin, thank you for that. You helped us kind of relate to Jesus and say, in light of Jesus' humanity, how is it that I can relate to him? And so we kind of framed it at the beginning, and the first movement is about Jesus. Now, in the second movement in this book, we're going to look at faith and what faith is. And now, uh, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but um, the Christian faith, getting into, if you will, getting into Christianity is one of the, the quote-unquote easiest things to do. I don't know if you've thought about it this way before, but there's actually very little requirements to get in, except to believe, right? Like, there's no payment you have to make, is there? I hope not. Maybe I should have told that before the offering went by, all right? There's no rituals that you have to go through. There's no pilgrimages that you have to complete, right? There's actually nothing that you even need to obey to be considered a Christian, right? There are no, like, pre-requirements for this. All that it requires is belief. This is what the New Testament teaches. It's so simple. It's different, if you're not sure about that, one of our greatest examples is the thief on the cross. If you ever heard that story, 
The last day of his life, this thief who was, who was condemned to die and be executed in the most uh, difficult way possible in the Roman world is hanging on the cross, and he finally talks to Jesus in response to him, and Jesus says, hey, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, thief on the cross, there's no pilgrimage you can do, right? there's no obedience you can offer me, there's no real change of life and habits that you can give to me, there's nothing, no money you can give to me, there's nothing you can show me in your life. You have just believed on me. And in your belief, you're in. It's easy. It's easy. And yet it's so, quote-unquote, easy and so simple that it's also difficult, isn't it? It's like, wait, 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 nothing. Nothing is that easy, <laughs> Nothing is that easy. And because it can be so easy, right, because it can be so simple, we can often take it for granted. That's the downside of it. Which is why, even at conferences that you might be able to go to at no charge because everything is covered, people are going to charge you money because if you pay for something, you value it more, right? Now, I need to tell you a little story of what happened last night in our home. This is going to be fun. Um, because this illustrates the point that sometimes when we think something costs nothing, we value it very little. Okay? Uh, last night at home, we had a great, exciting event happen. We have had a loose chicken around our place. And it has been, I don't know what you call it, nesting, birding, chickening, I don't know, under our deck. It's been living there for about four days, maybe five days. And it freaks me out. I will tell you that every now and then, because I have a basement office that I will work in, and sometimes I sit on what I have there, a love seat right there, and I'm just, you know, laptop on my lap. I have a window right here because it's a daylight basement, and I'm ground level, right? And I'm, I'm in thought about something. I'm just trying to get my mind around something. And all of a sudden, whoop, this chicken shows up right next to me and starts pecking at the window. And I'm telling you, it was not a good moment. I mean, I'm like, oh! And then it just stands there and, like, coos at me. I don't know what that noise is that chickens make, but it's just standing there kind of cooing at me, and I'm banging on the window, and it's just looking at me like, what? What do you want? You know, I'm banging on the window, no response. I'm like, where do the James and Corey live? I need to go give them a chicken, all right? That's what I was thinking. Now, so I'm like, we have a chicken. So we tried to find the chicken's home for a couple of days and cannot find the chicken's home, and we don't want to host a chicken at our house for free forever. That's not, this is not room and board for the chicken, okay? So yesterday, finally, after having no luck at finding a chicken's home, we're like, we need to do something because this thing is surviving. Like for days, I thought at some point it would wander off, you know, it would die, whatever. Natural death, a good old chicken, have a burial for the chicken. That is not happening. So we have, <laughs> we had fun last night. We had fun with the chicken it, in, a, in a humane kind of way, mostly. Um, <laughs> airsoft guns were involved at just part of that uh, process, trying to get the chicken organized and trying to chase this thing down. And we finally chased down the chicken, and I grabbed the chicken from the top of our deck, okay, because the chicken was in a position where it jumped on top of our railing, and it had to make a call, do I jump 12 feet down, or do I stay here? Because I had it locked in with a deck chair and me, and 12 feet. So I grabbed the leg of the chicken, thanks for the training on that, James and Corey, when I was helping with chickens at their house, learned how to grab that. I grabbed the leg of the chicken, squawk, 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 all the kids on the whole compound are excited, Here, here's this big moment, now what do you do? Now I have it. Now what do I do? Right, now I had seen what you do with chickens before, and I'd learned the process, but it didn't work the way it was supposed to work for me. And so I had to eliminate the chicken. And you know what we had for dinner? Chicken. Now I will tell you, I will tell you, I rarely think about how that chicken gets on my plate when I eat chicken. But in the immediate aftermath of having to eliminate that chicken all of a sudden I begin to think about what it costs somebody somewhere in a chicken 
to get onto my plate. And my appetite is just not there for the chicken last night, even though Jen cooked it well on the grill while I was taking care of the chicken. Because when you eat something like chicken and you don't think about what it costs, whatever, when all of a sudden you consider the cost, things change. When all of a sudden you consider the cost of what I place my faith in, things change. When we are thoughtless about our dinner, I eat it with no consideration. When I'm thoughtless about my faith, I enter in with very little consideration at all. At all. So for some of us, and this is especially true, if you have been around the church, here's the difficulty of it. If you've been around the church and you're a second or third generation, what we call Christian or believer or fourth or fifth or whatever, um, Faith has been likened to maybe a stool like this, where you'll often hear people say, faith is simple, right? It's a matter of, do I believe that the chair or the seat can hold me? Well, yes, I do. Well, if you do, then sit on it, okay? You can't just stand here and say, I believe, and not sit on it. And so, fine, I'll sit on it. Now, if you've been around here at all, you'll know there are times when I get a stool up here that is not this stool, and it's wobbly. If you remember that. So what I'll do with a wobbly stool is I'll kind of keep my left leg on the ground. I'll kind of sit on it, but I'll also kind of lean forward and hedge my bet on the stool because I don't totally trust the stool. I don't really want to fall down in front of you. I don't want to fall down at all, but especially not here on a Sunday morning. So I'll hedge my bet on my trust in this stool. Okay, makes sense? I mean, we, you do the same thing, right? If you're a second or third generation or fourth or fifth or whatever, and you've heard the story, and all the people around you are sitting on chairs of faith, you're like, I guess I should too. You're kind of getting used to the way it feels. Then all of a sudden stuff happens and it gets a little wobbly. Like, I thought things were supposed to go different. I thought that if I was sitting on the stool of faith, like life was supposed to work out differently. Like, I don't know, maybe I should sit forward a little bit and trust this left leg a little bit more. That would be smarter. I'm still sitting down. I still look like I'm sitting down. I mean, all my family is. My grandparents have been. My parents have been. My uncles and aunts, whatever. I'm still sitting down. <laughs> but I'm hedging my bet a little bit. I don't fully trust in what I'm doing. So as we begin to look at faith that is worth dying for, you know and I know that a faith that is not worth dying for is a faith that is hedging its bet. I'm not going to die for that. I'm not going to die for the stool. <laughs> I'm not going to have that much confidence in it. This faith that we're going to talk about this morning, the first of four times looking at, in faith, is going to be a faith that is centered on something very important. And I want to kind of, especially if you've been around church for a little while, I want to bring clarity to you about what the Christian faith is centered on. Because if we're not clear on what it is that we believe and what it is that we are centered on, then we will not place our faith full on with no reservation in the very thing that we're supposed to believe in. So with that background, I want to take you to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one in the pew around you. By the way, that Bible is our gift to you. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to have a Bible and take it with you. Uh, you can also go in your uh, device, your, your uh, phone or iPad or whatever you got there. Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, you'll find the book of Hebrews in what we call the New Testament, the second third of your Bible there. Um, and we're going to roll from Hebrews 3, 1 down into about verse 14 here this morning. We're going to pick it up here at the beginning of verse 1, uh, where this author, pastoral kind of tone to him is writing. 
And he says the first word of, I'm reading from the New International Version, by the way. First word is this, he says, therefore, therefore. Now, let me pause it there. Good tool of Bible study if you are into reading the scriptures, which I always recommend because I think the word of God is living and active, like the Bible says. In other words, it can help us um, understand who God is and how we even function in our own life. Therefore, if you're reading that, you're like, therefore, okay. In other words, we ask, as Bible teachers will say, you ask what it's there for. We've got to go back right into the previous verses. So with your Bible still open in chapter 3, verse 1, just back it up two verses into chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, because he leads in from that into verse 1 of chapter 3. So verse 17 now of chapter 2, he's writing there, and he says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself was suffered, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, that's the background to the therefore. In other words, remember that Jesus suffered, and he was tempted, and he went through this, and he suffered when tempted. That's important. It's not just that he's God and doesn't feel our human suffering and can't relate to that. Jesus is fully God, fully man, and because of his full humanity, he can relate to the suffering of temptation and the struggle that temptation is. He can relate to that. Therefore, and here's the appeal coming from the author now, therefore, in chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, he's writing to people who've confessed faith in Jesus, therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Very important verse. This is the, kind of the big verse for the morning right here. Therefore, holy brothers, he's saying, let me make a point from what I just said. In light of Jesus' ability to handle suffering and get through temptation, come with me now. In light of that, because he knows, I know that you're going through it too. I know that you're seeing people leave. I know that you're seeing people walk away from the faith. I know that it's hard for you. You're having economic repercussions on this. Your hope of a Messiah returning in power is not happening yet. There are people dying around you who are not seeing the hope of their faith fulfilled. Like It is tempting to believe less about who Jesus is. I understand that. He's saying in light of Jesus, he suffered when tempted. In light of that, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, and he uses this word which the NIV turns into a phrase, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Big phrase right there, big idea there. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. In other words, pay attention to, look at, all right? Um, if, if you are in the dating world at all or been there or wish you were there, this is not a hard concept. All of a sudden, you go from like thinking girls or guys are gross to all of a sudden being fixated on one of them. Like, ooh, I've fixed my thoughts on that person. And you can't help it. Like you go home, you're thinking about them, wondering what they're doing. Maybe you communicate with them in one way, shape, form, but your mind is full on. Your thoughts are engaged in this person. And here's the idea. Fix your thoughts that the object of your attention be Jesus. In James 1.23, James, who is Jesus' uh, brother, you know, writes there, basically he says, hey, if you look in the mirror, look in the mirror and see what you should do and don't do it, man, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> Get it together. You don't do that. People don't look in the mirror and see something that needs changed and don't fix it. 
That idea of looking into the mirror is the same word that's used here. When you look and focus intently on something, let's do something about it. And so the author's writing, he's saying, listen, fix your thoughts. Um, the New American Standard, I think ESV version, will say, consider Jesus. And so it's almost like this, um, this uh, pastor type person, is almost kind of like a salesman in a way, kind of saying, listen, consider this, consider Jesus. In light of the temptations, consider Jesus. Now here's why this is important. It's important for at least a couple reasons in, in the, for the sake of the audience right now. Remember, this audience is dealing with um, difficulty and persecution. I really, we really need to understand that. They're going through a hard time. They're, they are struggling with their faith and whether they should own it or not. And so here's the thing that he wants them to know. He wants them to know two things. Number one, first of all, you never became a Christian because you thought that things were going to get better. Like, consider that. Consider, fix your thoughts of your faith on Jesus. Like your, your first two things. First of all, you didn't come to Jesus because he promised that things were going to go from bad to good. Like in the seesaw of life, if you want to load up all things that make life bad and all things that make life good, you didn't come to faith because Jesus said, I'm going to deliver all the good things and make that way outweigh the bad. Like that wasn't what you came for. You didn't come to faith that way. You didn't come because he promised to take that away. I mean, if you did, someone sold you a bill of goods that had nothing in it. He's like, consider Jesus. Think for a minute about Jesus. How did he end up? He's the savior of the world. How did he end up? Rejected, mocked, persecuted, scorned, crucified. Crucified. Where's the weight of good on that? Like, if this is the Jesus who you believe in, consider him for a minute. If you're thinking, and if you're tempted to think that the reason that I believe in, in Jesus, or that a byproduct of my faith should be that I will have more good than bad come in, and that the struggle of temptation will be outweighed by my faith, somewhere along the line, we've missed it. You've never come to faith in the first place because of that promise that doesn't exist. And so the pastor's kind of appealing to the people saying, listen, fix your thoughts, consider, put your mind and put your heart on Jesus. Life wasn't ever promised to be awesome for you. I mean, I, I hate to say it, all right? But it wasn't like Jesus ever made the promise, you know what, when you come to faith in me, uh, I'm going to make sure that you get to marry who you want. I'm going to make sure that your marriage is awesome. I'm going to make sure that you, you never have, all right, can we talk Ben and Mo for a minute? Can we, you'll never have uh, to deal with uh, stillbirth, right? You, that's never going to have to happen to you because you're a Christian. That's just not true, and we know that. But somewhere along the line where life circumstances get so difficult, it shakes the stool a little bit. It's like, wait, I'm sitting on this thing. I thought that my life would be better if I was a Christian. Well, here's the question. To what are your thoughts focused? You've come to faith? Or have you come to a system in which we think life should be better than worse? And here's what the, the author is writing to the Hebrews immediately. He's like, listen, things are hard for you. I get it. Why did you come in the first place? If you came because you thought the good would outweigh the bad, ultimately, I can understand why you want to leave. But before you do that, fix your thoughts back on Jesus for a minute. Because he ended up on the cross like a common criminal. 
And this is who you believe in. First thing. Second thing. Not only did they not come to faith because good would outweigh the bad, and this is very important. Second thing. Second thing is Christians don't become Christians because of other, because of other Christians. You ever think about that? Like Christians don't become Christians because of other Christians. Christians become Christians because of Christ, not because of, not because of other Christians. That's very important. Christians don't become Christians because they look around in their family or in their social circle and they see, look at that, everybody's sitting on a chair of faith. It looks good. I'm the only one standing up. That would be awkward. I better sit down. That's not how people come to faith. And if they do, here's what I can guarantee you. If this is how you come to faith, and this is very important if you're a second, third, fourth, fifth generation, whatever, Christian, if you have sat down on this because everyone around you is sitting down, it is only a matter of time until somebody who has sat down disappoints you and makes you wonder why you sat down in the first place. Christians don't become Christians because of other Christians. Christians become Christians because of Christ. Like, fix your thoughts on Christ. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. So, the people around me who are sitting down over here are great people. I mean, they're great people. And I've got in this chair, as I look around at my life, I've got great people in chairs all around me. Professors, family members, friends, peers, who are sitting in chairs like this. But if you live long enough, and you know this is true, it does not take long before somebody blows it, Right? Somebody who claims to be, you name it, a pastor blows it morally, a professor blows it ethically, a parent is inconsistent with you, a teacher messes you up, that somewhere along the line, people who claim to be sitting in a stool of faith and say, look at me, I'm sitting here, I'm a Christian, they blow it, like they absolutely destroy you because of their failure. And you're left to wonder, like, whoa, that is not cool, and I don't know if I can recover from that. And this is what was happening as, as this author is writing to the people in, in this time. They're seeing people walk away. Like they're leaving. They're not, they're not coming anymore to the gatherings. They're, they're leaving the faith. And the reminder here is, listen, why did you come in the first place? Was it because everybody else was sitting down? If it is, then I can understand why you'd want to leave too. But if you came because your thoughts were fixed On Jesus, let me remind you to consider him again. To put your thoughts on him again. That people become Christians not because of other Christians, but because of Christ. Who suffered when he was tempted. You know, Jesus had to deal with people in his life like Judas. Good friend, someone who was brought in to be one of the twelve disciples. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? To have someone like Judas betray you? To have someone that you trusted walk away from following you? You want to know what it's like? I'm telling you, Jesus has been there. But there are going to be people who can blow up your life if you'll let them. But this author comes back and says, listen, let me kind of plead with you at the beginning. Let me plead with you. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus in light of what he has been through. And he goes on, because here's what he knows from uh, his history and the history of those believers, those early believers, that they had a hero in their faith. Their hero in their faith was a man named Moses. And so he kind of lays into Moses a little bit and compares Moses to Jesus. Check out verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 3. 
He says here in verse 2, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, there's a lot of houses going on in there, okay, a lot of stuff with that. But here's the the general point. The author is comparing Moses and Jesus and saying, I know that Moses is a hero of your faith, like he is. He's, He's a huge Jewish hero of the faith. But if you know your Old Testament at all, and here's what you will know, that Moses himself didn't even enter the promised land. Like, he blew it, right? Like, he got mad, didn't he? And he nailed the rock with a stick, and God's like, hey, you can't do that. You can't do that. And he blew it. So one of the greatest heroes of their faith failed. And he's saying, listen, even the greatest people that you're going to look up to, and if you're going to look to them to be the heroes of your faith, and your faith is going to work off of that, just know it might blow up. So fix your thoughts. Consider, before you walk away, when life gets hard, when people around you that you respect and you wish were different aren't, they're going to blow it for you. Before you walk away from all that, consider for a minute Jesus. Consider him as a starting point for your faith. You don't become a Christian because of other Christians. You don't become a Christian because things are promised to be good. You become a Christian because of Jesus, who suffered when he was tempted, who experienced betrayal, who had people close to him leave him. Consider him for a minute. And he says at the end of verse 6, as I read just there, that we have to hold on to this courage and the hope of which we boast. Because if I could say one thing about this entire movement on faith, these four parts on faith, Here's what kind of shocks me as I look into faith again. That faith, I'm telling you, and it requires more courage than I can even put into words. And that, that blows me away. That faith, if we think somehow that faith is just, yeah, I get to show up every Sunday morning. That's not faith. It might be duty. It might be an obligation. But I'm telling you, I think you know this. That faith, I mean, we're talking real belief, like to die for faith. It just takes a boatload of courage, bravery, that doesn't exist without some real work of God to work in our heart. It just doesn't exist naturally. I just don't want to give up that much control of my life. He says, hold on to the courage and hope that you had. And he says, hold on to the the courage in a couple ways. And check out verse 7 here. And here's a little bit of a warning. He says this, so as the Holy Spirit says... And now he's kind of quoting in the Old Testament. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. We'll talk about what that means in just a second. During the time of testing in the desert. We're going Old Testament allusion here. Where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. And so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And in that 
five-verse section there, the word hearts is repeated at least three different times. The emphasis on all of this is simply this. The Old Testament nation of Israel rejected the voice of God by and large. There was 12 spies that went out from the land. Ten of them came back and were like, hey, we can't take it. Two of them were like, we got it. The nation of Israel went with what they thought was right, and that is 10 over 12. That's a democracy. I mean, that's kind of American, so let's go with that, right? You know, let's go with the most. All right? So let's, let's not go. Let's not go, because I think that would be a wise idea not to go. Let's trust our resources and kind of turn from the living God. And for 40 years, they wandered in the, the wilderness. And so here's what the author is saying. In this time, don't harden your heart to this. Like, as he's writing to the people who are receiving this letter, he's saying, if there's something pricking at your heart now, like if you're looking around now and saying, people have left the faith, and I'm kind of wondering. And if you're looking around now and saying, you know, I'm on this stool, but honestly, it's just hard to really be full in. I'm going to maybe just do this a little bit, like, and lean with a little bit more strength on the left leg than, than full on in, like... I'm just going to slide it a little bit. And no one will really notice because I'll still be sitting down and it'll be fine. But like, I'm just going to slide it a little bit because I don't know. Like, I don't know that I can trust this way. Life is so difficult. People have left. He said, listen, in the middle of that, please be careful. Don't harden your heart to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Like, if you're hearing, slide it back on. If you're hearing, believe me again. Trust me, please don't harden your heart. Just please don't do that. Because what happened to the nation of Israel, don't let that happen to you. Now here's the question, though, how do I do that? Like if I'm wanting to slide back on, if I'm feeling like I'm kind of moving this way, if people and circumstances around me are tough, and my faith is not really full on in, but close, like how can I ratchet that up a little bit? I mean, can you give me some ideas besides just the, the theory, which I agree with I me? Mean, what, what can I do? Very, very insightful next verse in verse 13 that he writes about. It begins with the word but, and it's very simple, very profound. He says this in verse 13, but encourage one another daily. You want to go to the doctor and get a prescription for what ails you? You're sliding off the chair? Come to the pharmacy, I'll give it to you. Here it is. Once a day, encourage somebody. But, in contrast, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened. Look at that, it's exactly right there. So that, the reason being, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you see the play? If you encourage, it is unlikely that your heart will be hardened. The opposite will be true. If you do not encourage, if you are not in the business of being an encourager, it is likely that your heart will be hardened. What in the world? Why is that? This is strange. But it's also true. To encourage somebody assumes that you have a relational component, that Christianity is not a, a solo, lone ranger approach. But here, here's what I think you already know, that if you're struggling and if you're dealing with some kind of discouragement or you're kind of tempted to slide off of that chair, you're kind of like, I'm going to lean over a little bit more into my, my strength. The way to guard your heart is to encourage someone else's, Right? Like the, the way to change your heart is to stop looking at your own heart and look at somebody else's. 
the way to deal with discouragement and kind of like, oh, I'm so stuck in my life circumstances. Oh, life is so tough for me. And honestly, it may be tough for you. Don't let me diminish that. I, 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 I'm not trying to diminish the struggles that we have at all. I understand that. They're, they're great and they're very... But if, if life becomes a matter of focused on my struggles, my heart becomes hardened to a God. And I begin to say, man, does he even care? And here's the author writing to people, listen, you're seeing people walk away from faith. It's getting difficult for you to even function in the marketplace. It is hard for you to carry this faith on. So here's my suggestion to you. Encourage somebody daily. Encourage them. Give them, take a little bit of courage out of your pocket, give it to them. And something will happen in your own heart, as it you've already experienced, I have no doubt, that when you have encouraged somebody, whether it be through service or volunteerism or giving or whatever you have done, have you not had the experience where you've gone to say, I think I was more blessed than they were. Like, I think I got the better end of that than they did. I know I helped and things are better on their end, but man, I'm telling you, something changed in my heart and I got, I got the better end of that deal. And that is what he's trying to get Encourage one another so that your heart will not be hardened. And in that, and here's the other thing that you know about encouraging people. If you know somebody who's an encouragement, a courager, are you more likely or less likely to trust them and to walk with honesty before them? When you ask, who can I share my struggles with? You're going to think about the people who are the most encouraging. You're going to say, I want to talk with them. And so here's what he says. In order to develop community where we can, with courage, walk together, if you think something, say something. If you think, say it. And I can't tell you how profound that is. Some of you have done that with my own children. You've thought something about them and you've just stopped and said to them, you know what? I had this thought. I thought I should tell you. You're doing great at this. You're doing great at this. Whatever. It's profound significant. You may think that's small. No, 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 no. Encourage one another daily. It helps create a community of faith with courage. Okay. So, by way of really brief review, here's what I'm saying about faith this morning. First of all, Christianity, Christian faith, centers on Christ. If I can strip away the other things and just say, as we enter faith and as we begin to sit down on this thing, all right, and we begin to say, how am I coming to faith? this thing is not promising you that the seesaw of life is going to go from bad to good. When you sit down, Christian faith does not center on your circumstances. It doesn't center on things becoming better. I believe, ultimately, that there's a quality of life, right, that in a depth of quality of life that comes from trusting in a sovereign God that doesn't exist without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that. That it may not change every circumstance, but you don't sit down on this thing because circumstances are going to get better. And you also don't sit down on this thing because other people are sitting down. Like, that's, that's not going to work. Christianity centers on Christ. So, in light of that, here's the question. What do I need to listen to? Do you feel like somewhere, anywhere in your life, you may be like those who are receiving this letter, are kind of like sliding over here a little bit. Like, yeah, I'm close. But, man, I know I'm just coming to church and playing the game. Like, I know that. I hope no one else knows that. But, man, I know that. Like, I'm not really interested in this thing, but you know, if I stop going, I'm not, she's not going to want to date me anymore, or my parents are going to think ill of me, or whatever, or my wife, and my husband is going to whatever, like, eh, but I'm over here, like, I'm like over here, like, man, what do I need to listen to? That your heart just won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of it all. It's just, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Because the final question is this, you know, 
Who can I encourage? In the middle of kind of sliding off, maybe if you are, maybe if you're seeing things that aren't working right in your life and things that you wish were different, you know, here's a question. Not only what, what do I wish were different from my life, but here's a different question. In the middle of all that I'm dealing with, man, who can I encourage? Who can I encourage? As long as it's called today, who can I encourage? And in the middle of that, today, in the middle of that, as you encourage, your heart will be softened to the voice of God, to the work that he does. Therefore, holy brothers, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Consider him who endured temptations and struggles and suffered. Consider him as a centerpiece of your faith. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that it is to us about what is true, the challenge that it can be to us. I pray for us this morning as we listen and hear that our, um, our minds and our hearts will be open to how you are moving in us through your word, that your spirit would work in us if there are ways that we are kind of leaning off in terms of our trust and just hedging our bet a little bit and not sure that we'd really die for this faith. I mean, we kind of live for it, but to die for it? Father, in the areas where our, our hearts have moved off center in trusting Jesus, give us the courage to draw that back in to speak to who we need to speak to, to take the steps we need to take, to stop whatever we need to stop, to start whatever we need to start, to change or adjust what we need to change or adjust. And help us to be people who are encouragers, who give to others out of a, out of a desire to give a little bit of courage and confidence that we can encourage each other to hold on to the hope that is very difficult to hold on to. To have the bravery and the passion, the conviction, deep in our soul, that this thing that we come to worship on a Sunday morning, this gospel message, is something that we would die for. That is hard. Give us the courage to encourage one another, to keep our thoughts fixed on Jesus, who endured and suffered much, that he may be our example. And it's in his name that we pray.